Hello. Thank you for joining me and listening in on this podcast where I interview guests on all things education. My guests will share stories about their educational background, their views on teaching and learning, and where they see education heading. I interview teachers, edtech founders, higher ed folks, and more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me for another podcast on education. Today, I'm interviewing Maria Anaya, who is Director of Curriculum and Instruction at Summit Learning. Hi, Maria. Hi, Nati. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I just want to let you know a little bit about this podcast. I'm interested in interviewing people about how they view education now and where it's headed in the future. And first, I'd like to start with asking you about your role at Summit Learning. What is your title exactly and what do you do every day? (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Nati. Um, yeah, so I'm the director of curriculum and instruction at Summit Learning. That means a lot of things. Um, essentially, I help lead our about 30-person professional development and curriculum and instruction team. And so our entire team is charged with developing and improving the curriculum that um, our 11 public schools use, as well as the Summit Learning community use in the classroom. And then the PD team focuses on building out all of the professional development um, that our teachers and school leaders get trained on in order to implement Summit Learning. Got it. And how long have you been in this role? What were you doing before? Yeah. uh, So I've been at Summit for almost two years now. I've been in this specific role for almost a year now. Um, When I first joined Summit, I joined on as the Director of Adult Learning for Product Development, so more focused on a product-specific role. Um, But prior to Summit, I worked at Pearson Education, leading product strategy in higher education. Got it. Great. And now I'd like to take a step back and hear about your own educational experience and uh, what was that like growing up and how did you end up where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I went to public schools my entire K-12 life. I grew up in East Palo Alto, California, but went to school in Redwood City. All three, my elementary school, middle school, and high school were all within about a couple mile radius from each other. I would say that my schools at the time were not the most academically rigorous, um, and I definitely realized this when I got to college. However, I do have to say that I had some pretty amazing teachers who believed in me and pushed me to be my very best. You know, as I mentioned, my, my high school wasn't the most academically rigorous, but I did take all the AP courses and everything I sort of could, could do in order to get to college. Um, I was actually the first person to be accepted at Stanford for my high school in about in over 10 years. So that was a huge accomplishment, both for myself and for the school itself. Then I went on to Stanford uh, for my undergrad, where I studied chemical engineering, um, very different from what I'm doing now. And eventually I went to grad school at the Harvard School of Education, where I got my master's in technology, innovation and education. Um, and that for me was sort of the launching point of my career in ed tech. But specifically what I think what transitioned me into the field of education was this recognition of how much teachers, like quality teachers and education really helped me um, reach all my personal goals and ambitions. And so for me, I realized that there are so many inequities within education, um, some of which I experienced myself. Um, And so there was this desire to want to fix those and, and ensure that every single child has an opportunity for an excellent education. 
Got it. Thank you. And for uh, people that aren't familiar with East Palo Alto and where it's located, can you talk a little bit about that geographic area? And um, I know you highlighted a little bit about what it meant to get in and being the first person from your school in 10 years. Can you say a little bit more about that? What's different about East Palo Alto? When um, when my family first moved to East Palo Alto in the early 90s, um, it had the highest homicide rate in the country. It's, it's definitely gotten a lot better. It's changed. Um, actually, it's very interesting to think about how it's changed over the course of you know the last 15 um, years. Um, a lot of that being because of all the tech companies, Facebook and whatnot that have, have moved to, to the area. But at the time when I was there growing up, it just was not the safest, best place to be, very under-resourced um, area for a long time. There was no, there was actually no high school in East Palo Alto. Um, There's definitely a lot of tensions um, with that area. Um, didn't have a grocery store, which is hard to believe, but that's sort of how it was in the 90s. What's really crazy about its location is that right across the bridge, literally crossing the bridge is Palo Alto. And so you have this extreme sort of difference between East Palo Alto, where it's primarily low income families, people of color, and then you cross the bridge and you have some of the wealthiest people um, in the Bay Area. Um, so it just it's a huge divide all within literally um, a couple of miles from, from each other. Got it. And, and what's East Palo Alto like now? And also, where is Summit Learning? Um, so East Palo Alto now has changed a lot. It's crazy. I, I actually just was out there about a week ago and um, Amazon now has like an office in East Palo Alto, which I was shocked to see. You know, there's a large Ikea. There's some grocery stores now. There's some markets. So a lot of businesses there. Facebook is literally down the street. And so as a result of that, there's been a lot of development um, and a, a lot of um, younger professionals moving to the area. Um, so while I do recognize that there is a lot of positive outcomes to that, it's also really sad to see a lot of the families that have grown up there be pushed out of out of the, the area. And then to your second question of Summit Learning. So our home office is actually based in Redwood Shores. Um, however, we run 11 schools across the Bay Area and in Washington State. And through Summit Learning, we actually are spreading our model of personalized learning across the country. And currently we have about um, a little bit over 320 schools implementing our model across the country. Got it. And what's a, if there is one, what's a typical profile of a school that adopts this model? Uh, yeah, great question. Uh, we don't have a typical profile. What's really nice is that our vision is really to help different schools adopt this model, whether you be a, you know, your typical public school at a district, a charter school, a charter management organization, a private school. We've partnered with all sorts of schools. Um, I think the, the one requirement or uh, that we have is sort of this desire to want to rethink and redesign education to ensure that we're actually meeting the diverse needs of students across the country. Got it. And does Summit Learning work with all K-12 through or is it specific grade level? Currently, we are uh, working with 5th through 12th grade. Um, although we are expanding to 4th grade next year, our own schools are middle schools and high schools. However, there's, there's such demand to bring personalized learning to you know, all levels and areas that we uh, last year launched uh, fifth grade, and then this year we'll be partnering with fourth grade as well. Great. 
I know you mentioned that despite not being not attending schools that were very rigorous and and getting into Stanford, I imagine that there were a couple point people, maybe more, that really um, supported your your ambition, your intellectual development. Can you share a little bit about your three greatest teachers or mentors while you were growing up before getting into college? I'll start with um, my kindergarten teacher, uh, Miss Baldini. When I think about her, she was sort of my introduction to this thing called school. Um, and she made me fall in love with school because she made it a place where I could enjoy myself and learn so much. When I think back to her, she was so warm, welcoming, and just created the most inclusive and supportive environment. Um, So I would say that she sparked my curiosity in learning and encouraged me no matter what. I remember looking forward to come to our class so much. It, it seems like, oh, as a you know kindergarten, or what, what would I remember? But I just remember that feeling. And I remember she had this little store in her class, and um, I think we would like sell or like give away stickers or stamps or something like that. But I just loved running it and and helping um, coordinate everything that happened within the store. And so she really, I think, introduced me to school with this just amazing way. Um, so so I, I'm definitely very grateful that that was my first impression of school. In high school, um, I would say that uh, Miss Slater was um, one a, a really great teacher and mentor. She was my high school French teacher. So I had her for four years. And she also had my sister years before. And so I, I think there was this also this connection of like, you know, my, my siblings, you know, my family. And so I would say she was uh, one of my greatest teachers, um, you know, not only because she supported me in class and because I learned French and whatnot, but for me, it was more important that she supported me outside of class. I just felt that no matter what happened, I could go to her and talk to her. And she was just, she saw me as a whole person. She was very compassionate, very funny, great sense of humor. Um, and she just knew what to give me when I needed it, whether that was, you know, sometimes space in class or just letting me step away or pushing me even to do things outside of my comfort zone. When senior year came around, um, I remember her talking to me at extensively about the schools that I would be applying to. She wrote so many recommendations and she pushed me to consider schools that I hadn't even considered. In fact, she even arranged for me to travel to the East Coast to visit um, a couple of schools. Uh, and, and I had to not, I didn't have to worry about the cost or organizing anything. Um, so she was just one of my biggest advocates and, and I'm forever grateful to her. I would say, so I'm going to break a little bit of, of your uh, question, Nathi, and actually talk about one of my professors in in college, just because I, I think back to him uh, a lot. And this was uh, Professor Jerry Fuller. And what stands out with him was that he didn't let me give up and he thoroughly believed in me. Um, so I remember I had failed my first chemical engineering exam, um, gotten a pretty low score, uh, and I was just totally um, devastated. And I was, I was ready to quit. Because I just felt like I didn't have it in, in me or was cut out to be a chemical engineer. Uh, but he, he pulled me aside and he helped me understand that I just needed some extra support putting together all the pieces of information that I had already learned in previous courses. And so he convinced me to, you know, stick it out. And, uh, he worked with me for the rest of the quarter on a one, one-on-one basis outside of class. And so I remember I would go to his office um, once or twice a week and he would help me make sense of the week's work and then sit me down and work through problem sets. And I just couldn't believe that there was this like amazing 
a very renowned uh, scholar and professor who was willing to sit down with me for that much time and help me make sense of things. And I remember him telling me, uh, you know, at a couple different times uh, that he's like, you know, that's what we're here for. We're here to help you learn. We're here to help you um, achieve whatever you want to achieve. And so he refused to let me give up and he supported me along the way and ended up doing really well in his course and, and ended up sticking to chemical engineering and um, just forever grateful to that as well. That's amazing to hear. It reminds me of one of the common themes that have come up in these interviews is just uh, having an adult come in at that critical point when when we want to give up and they kind of they kind of push us beyond uh, what we think we're capable of. And that also this realization that every student should have an adult like this in their lives. Given your uh, variety of experiences growing up in, in East Palo Alto, getting into Stanford, getting into Harvard, and being at the point where maybe you, you would thought you might be not on the right path, what is the purpose of education in your opinion? <laughs> Such a complex question. Um, I think if I have to sum it up in one sentence, because that's probably easier, I would say that the purpose of education is to prepare young people to be lifelong learners and to be able to discover and create a path to fulfill their life's purpose, whatever that may be for each individual student. And what are your thoughts on schools adequately doing that now? How how do we get there? How what, what does that look like, either implementing that now or in the future? I don't think that schools are adequately supporting students in fulfilling this purpose of education because our current systems do not allow for the personalization that students need for their own personal selves, for their local communities, for their context, for for where they are in their social emotional learning, there isn't enough personalization to their to their actual context. And there isn't enough development of the actual transferable skills, such as cognitive skills that are actually the skills that students will, will need to be able to pull on in order to be successful. I, I do have hope for, for a future where schools are able to support that type of learning. And, and that sort of goes back to why I am working at Summit Learning. What I hope that this looks like in five years is that it's more personalized. You know, I, I don't think we're doing a good enough job of ensuring that every single child has the learning experiences that they need to thrive. There needs to be more of a focus on the whole child. And I, and I think we're starting to see a lot more of this. And, you know, I, I think as more schools begin to implement um, innovative school models or personalized learning, I think we'll have more positive outcomes that'll push um, more people to do such things. So my hope, uh, probably selfishly, because I'm, I'm working with Summit Learning and Personalized Learning, is that we will have schools that are focused more on developing those cognitive skills um, that are helping students develop habits for success and really discover their their purpose in life and, and how to get there. It's not about mastering these discrete pieces of, of content knowledge that I feel like when I went to school, it was like, okay, I'm going to learn my multiplication tables. I'm going to learn um, these vocabulary words. I'm going to learn like this very strict way of writing an essay. I think you know, with this day and age where knowledge is so easily accessible via Google and just we have everything at an arm's length. It's more about, okay, what do you do with this knowledge? How do you apply it to the different contexts? How do you 
communicate effectively? How do you work on teams? How do you make an articulate an argument? How do you make a hypothesis and then ex- experiment to test that? I think those are the types of skills that we need to be developing more in students. Um, and so I, I think we're, we're so slowly starting to see that as more people focus on like the social emotional learning aspect of education. And so my hope is that over time, we'll, all schools will be personalized learning environments or, or something along those lines. And for people that aren't familiar with the term and what tools are being used to get there or or what those environments look like, what does personalized learning look like in the classroom? Yeah, great question. And that's pretty complex. And I know there's so many different um, definitions for personalized learning. So for me, I'm going to use the lens of, of sort of how we envision it at Summit Learning. Our model really focuses on four pillars. So four things that we're really building out with students. The first one is cognitive skills. And so these are the essential and transferable life skills that students need to be successful. Um, and those come to life through project-based learning. So students work on projects that span four to six weeks that are discipline specific, but very authentic to the discipline. And so students will spend you know, a couple of hours every day working on a project that spans a couple of weeks. These are oftentimes done in groups. And so they get feedback, formative feedback from their teachers and their peers that are assessing them actually on cognitive skills. So not so much your A, B, C, D, and your traditional way of grading, but more like how are you developing this skill over time? So that's the first pillar. And then the second pillar is content knowledge. And so, you know, while while I just finished saying that, um, you know, content knowledge is so easily accessible, it's still an important aspect of education. And so this is for us, it's understanding, having students understand and learn how to apply foundational content knowledge. And so what this looks like for us, Summit Learning, is a competency-based progression. And so recognizing that students come in at different levels with different background knowledge, with different prior experiences. And so maybe, you know, you come to this class, your life science class, and you've already you know, mastered everything about mitosis or meiosis. Um, so you can easily demonstrate mastery and, and move on to the things that you need to focus on. And so it's this idea that different students are moving at different paces and also direct self-directing their learning. I think for us here, it's providing students with all the resources, but then more so focusing on the self-direction of learning, because that's a skill that's actually going to matter when they get out into the real world. Third pillar, habits of success. And so we focus on building out mindsets and behaviors that support well-being. These are mindsets like resiliency and academic tenacity. And so again, these are behaviors that will support a student in being able to be successful later on in life. And a lot of these habits are actually developed through one-on-one mentoring. So part of our model is that students have mentors that have these weekly, often daily conversations with students to really check in and see how they are doing and progressing on their own goals. Um, you know, I, I think back to your first question, Nathi, or when I was talking about the teachers, and oftentimes what makes a difference in a, in a child's life is that connection with a mentor or being able to talk through um, their goals and where they're hoping to get and, and get that sort of direction that sometimes doesn't happen elsewhere. And the fourth pillar um, for us is a sense of purpose. And so this is helping students uh, develop self-awareness and pursuits of interests and goals. And this is this is still one that we're trying to figure out um, about how best to allow students to demonstrate this. But currently, this happens through these mentoring, one-on-one mentoring conversations that students have. So I, I know I, I kind of didn't answer your question fully just because, you know, a day at Summit Learning looks very different depending on 
what aspect um, of the learning model you happen to walk into. So it might be project-based learning. It might be students working on content knowledge at their own pace. It might They might be having a one-on-one conversation with, with their mentor to figure out what are their goals for the week, how they achieve them, how do they adjust their plans so they do achieve their goals. I guess I guess the the theme in this is that there isn't sort of your standard day. Like that that education system I feel like is gone. There is no longer the day where you walk in and you expect to see four rows of students, teacher at the front doing, you know, talking at the students. You would always expect to see that in a classroom. Now it's like you walk in and who knows what you'll find. It may seem like chaos, but students might be working on something, teacher may be supporting a small intervention. Um, it just, it, it looks very different now. But, but the, the, but the point is that every single student is getting what they need to meet them at that point in time. That's great. Really great to hear that these different models are being implemented across the country. I really resonated with me in in the four pillars that you mentioned were the self-awareness piece, because I think if that's there, the student can arm themselves with the right tools, uh, regardless of what educational environment they're in. They, They start to figure out themselves and how and who they are in the world. Absolutely. That's the hope. Okay. I have another question for you about our current education system. I know we talked about where uh, where we see it heading, but if you could change one thing right now, if you had a magic wand, what would you change? I feel like I'm saying the same thing over <laughs> and over. That's okay. <laughs> I, I, I would make it more equitable. Um, I would allow for success to happen for all students and um, equitable in that students would have access to learning experiences that are best suited for them specifically. I think right now there's a lot of assumptions or just, you know, just forcing these cookie cutter ways of of learning and doing things onto students, but not adapting to their communities, to their backgrounds, to their individual needs. And so I would, I would make it so that, you know, local communities could create their own um, systems that work best for them and that students would have access to whatever learning experiences um, are best suited to help them pursue their goals. Um, you know, right now there's just so much inequity in terms of, you know, amount of dollars a, a school district receives or even access to like internet or technology, quality teachers. Like it's just, it varies so much from state to state or city to city that that's just, I, I wish I could just change it so that everyone just has like a menu of here's all the learning experiences and things you have. Great. You can choose what best fits your needs. There are a couple of things that I wanted to ask about. So your what you studied at Harvard was around education and technology. If that is that correct? Correct. When you when I think about personalized learning in my mind, I immediately thought of tech, right? An assessment online, someone sitting on a computer and a program spitting back at you what you need to work on and where the holes are. But when you present your summit learning model, it sounded completely different. It sounded like there was a social component and project-based learning and self-awareness. So how does technology fit into this goal of personalized learning, if at all? Great question. And technology is definitely a component of how we are able to effectively implement this model of teaching and learning. So we've been fortunate enough to partner with 
the Chan Zuckerberg initiative. We first partnered um, with Facebook. And so they provided us with uh, a team of engineers and designers and researchers to help bring this model of teaching to learning to life within a tool. So um, now that work has transitioned over to CDI. And so together, we've been building out a platform that students use, students and teachers use to implement um, Summit Learning. So students all the, the, all, the, all the curriculum is found online, all the projects, all the competency-based progression content um, is all found online. Every single pillar that I talked about earlier is supported through the platform. The idea that is that this makes it easier for both the student and the teacher to be able to communicate with one another and keep track of progress and, and sort of monitor and track that the out, intended outcomes are being achieved. So yes, this is a constantly developing platform. And for me, you know, going to Harvard and focusing on technology and education was specifically wanting to look at how do we best utilize technology to ensure that learners are getting access to quality learning experiences? And even more so, um, how do we then evaluate and ensure that these technologies are actually meeting the intended outcome? So for me, that was the reason why I went into this program. And quite honestly, I, I believe that we've only begun to scratch the surface of what is possible with technology and education. So I would say for us at Summit Learning, yes, the platform is a key piece to our model, but it's but it's it's sort of it's in the background because, uh, as I mentioned, the four pillars in and of themselves, it's a different approach to learning and teaching. Technology is a tool to help make this easier for teachers and students. Got it. And uh, Maria, what projects are you working on outside of Summit? What are you passionate about? What are you working on? And where can people find you? Yeah, I've got so many passions. Nathie. <laughs> you know, I, I spend a lot of time dancing. Um, I've been dancing Mexican folkloric for about over 15 years. So I do performances all, all around the Bay. I think arts and education is extremely important. Um, oftentimes do um, performances at um, elementary schools or middle schools to really ensure that kids are getting access to, to the arts. Um, yeah, and other than dance, i um, also been trying to pursue some of my own ideas with a really good friend of mine. We are trying to find some way to merge two of our loves into some ed tech idea. And so the two ideas being technology and Montessori. I think in a a lot of ways, the Montessori approach to to education has it right. While traditional Montessori does not integrate technology at all, we're trying to see how we might blend the two ideas in in a sort of innovative way to bring, to make Montessori more accessible to anyone. Um, Right now, a lot of those schools are, are extremely expensive and so not accessible to sort of your lower income families or even knowledge of Montessori schools isn't as common. And so wanting to figure out to see if we can figure out a way to make it more accessible to all. So yeah, those are are a couple of things that take my time um, outside of my day job. And in terms of where to find me, you can look me up. Um, Find me on LinkedIn, Maria Anaya. I'm always eager to, to talk with folks who are passionate about education, passionate about making a difference in children's lives, whether that be social, emotional, learning, technology specifically. Um, If you want to chat about some ed tech ideas, can definitely talk your ear off about that. Definitely feel free to reach out to me. 
Well, thank you, Maria. This has been really great. I'm excited to hear that you're in this space that's having a huge impact in education. And I also look forward to hearing more about uh, your work in merging technology and Montessori. Great. Thank you so much, Nathi. It was a pleasure. Thanks again for listening. This is Nathi Rodriguez, and I leave you with my favorite quote by Albert Einstein. The significant problems we face today cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them.